Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. Welcome back to the Starting Over Stronger Show. This is going to be part 11 of 13. And so we will have today's reading and then two more after that to conclude the reading of Starting Over Stronger, Finding a Pathway Out of Codependency to Create a New Life of Peace. I was recently asked at one of my book signings about the subtitle, and I thought I would expand on that a little bit here. I was asked after I shared a little bit about my story and the things that I've been through, like covert narcissistic abuse, uh, cult-like experience, family dysfunction and estrangement, infidelity, so on and so forth. They said, okay, you know, that's interesting that you've, you've gone through all those things and that you didn't relate to any of that in your subtitle, but instead you picked finding a pathway out of codependency. And I said, yeah, that was actually very intentional. And originally, the subtitle was Finding a Pathway Out of Covert Abuse. But the more that I thought about it, that title just was not sticking for me. I couldn't decide why, but it just I just kept thinking about it over and over again. And, and finally, what I arrived at was that if I pinholed it into that one thing, then nobody would read it except those people who know that they're dealing with that and have identified that. And so that's a very small pool of people, actually. Um, certainly many more are dealing with it than realize that that is what they're dealing with. But beyond that, many, many more don't even know that they're in the middle of a covert narcissistic abuse situation. They haven't identified that yet, just like I hadn't some years back. So then again, the other side of that coin is that there's a lot of people who are codependent and have not identified that. So on that note, I'm going to ask you if you haven't thought about that or heard that word or identified yourself as codependent, why don't you take some time this week and look that word up and learn a little bit more about what it means to be codependent and see if that does help you make sense of a lot of things in your life. If so, then you'll know even more that this book is a pathway out of that. But the reason I chose that title and focused more on the codependency is because the exact problem with codependency is a victim mindset. And this sense that you have that you carry with you all the time that the reason you have such and such problems or issues in your life is because of all these external forces, the people in your life, the things that happen to you. It's all things that, and it's situations and people that are happening to you. And discovering codependency is like this entire mind shift paradigm because it's like, oh, none of that is because of that. It's all because I chose it or I allowed it. And so codependency is really simply just existing in a state of 
victim mindset, victim mentality. And so it was important to me to distinguish in the subtitle that, you know, this book is about accepting your part in the situations that you're stuck in and getting unstuck from those. A more simple subtitle might have been getting unstuck because it really truly is the sum of what this book is about. But anyway, I just wanted to explain that because, you know, I I say that subtitle all the time. And it was interesting to have a conversation with someone who kind of picked up on that and, and recognized that there was some intentionality behind that. And so I hope that that um, clears up any confusion you might have had about what that is and, and whether or not it pertains to you. So last week, we stopped at the end of chapter eight. And so we are ready to start chapter nine. Chapter nine, falling in love again ages 45 to 48. Before I deep dive into the pathway to peace journaling practice that my entire life story was made possible by, I want to dedicate one chapter to the heart of my starting over stronger story. A story that could be, and maybe someday will be, a story all its own. I want to share a little glimpse of the stronger part of the starting over. I will start by saying stronger is not problem-free. Stronger is not stress-free. Life still brings its share of hard. I often say to others teetering on the fence of staying or going in their toxic relationship, whether you stay or go, there will be hard. If you stay in the familiar pain of manipulation, dishonesty, betrayal, and control, it will be hard. If you leave, You will never again have to allow manipulation, dishonesty, betrayal, or control in your life, but life will still be hard. You will have to fight a divorce battle of some kind. You will have to figure out a way to fight for a fair settlement that allows you to have some financial stability as you build or rebuild your career, if you don't have a steady career already. You may have to share custody. You likely will have to watch him partner up with someone new, and probably sooner than you think. You will have to learn to pay bills, to budget, to perhaps adjust to a much different lifestyle. You will eventually start dating. You will have to figure out how to heal your heart from all you are now enduring if you want the best chance possible at a healthy relationship in the future. And sometimes that healing is hard. The career changes are hard. The dating can be hard. The divorce will be hard. You will have to choose your hard. There is no easy. If you're thinking, wow, she's really not doing a good job of selling me on the idea of starting over, that's only because perhaps you don't yet understand the value in these new hard things. Or maybe it's because you aren't yet done trying. And there's no shame in that. It's easy to look back when it's all said and done and say you should have left five or 10 years ago. But the truth is that we transition in life when we are ready for the next stage. I was ready. It took 10 years longer than I would have liked, but I used every lesson learned in those 10 years to make my transition even better. I was free for the first time in my life. I was living solo and loving it. I was not under anyone's control. I was the butterfly that emerged from the dark and gloomy cocoon. 
I was spreading my wings in ways I could never have imagined before. I had stepped out on faith to begin a career in real estate, not something I had ever imagined for myself. And I was watching God's plan unfold with pure, unabated joy. I was healing my mind, my body, and my spirit like I never could have while in the cocoon. I was falling in love all over again, this time with myself. Who was Annie? I had given myself this name, not even yet a year previous, so I was still learning who she was. She loved living in the moment. Her body was getting stronger and smaller. She was embracing her innate and divine femininity. She was listening to her own voice. She was loving and trusting God in ways she never had while distracted with the drama of organized religion. She was still coming to understand the differences between church as she had always known it and this loving one-on-one relationship with her God. She was watching him teach her things about himself and about herself in ways she never had before. She was finally at ease as she watched him time and time again keep filling the gaps the way he always has and always will. I was alone and I was totally and completely okay with that. I was focusing on me. I was enjoying autonomy. I was realizing in all new ways that the choice to view solitude as loneliness or freedom is all in how one looks at it. I saw freedom, freedom to be and do, freedom to heal those places that I couldn't yet heal until I was free. I had still been seeing my counselor, but our work was mostly focused on trusting that I could create the future I desired and longed for. Gone were the days of endlessly replaying the drama of trying to live at peace with someone who saw me as the problem in everything. Of course, the divorce itself carried some drama, but I processed through it much more quickly now. I had come into my own body and mind. I knew what I needed to do, and I did it, for the most part, without a lot of second-guessing myself. This was such a new way of being for me, and it was largely the reason that almost six months to the day from when I filed, I received word that the judge had signed off on our negotiated agreement an agreement that I fought hard to accomplish, despite threats of lack of provision and the possibility of going to court to get a fair settlement. I fought, and although there are no winners in divorce, I felt like I had one because I got what was fair. As I thought about getting the call that it was final, I immediately flashed back to the day and remembered having posted something meaningful to me on my social media about the finalization. So I found it to share with you. April 30th, 2018. So as of today, I am officially single again. It's been 30 years. The marriage and divorce are finally over. It's a very weird, disorienting feeling with an array of emotions. Even though I was ultimately the one to file, I never wanted to be here. I worked very hard for a very long time not to be here. I'm going to be real for a second. This has sucked. It has sucked so bad that there were nights I was in a fetal position, crying so hard I couldn't breathe. I've lost family. I've lost friends. I've lost the one person I always wanted to make it work with. Accepting defeat sucks. Allowing people to walk out of my life, tolerating people who tell lies about me, 
accepting that some people will never reach out to me, bearing with people who accuse me of things I'm not guilty of or who choose to believe things about me that couldn't be farther from the truth. And worst of all, ripping my heart in two just to get peace and healthy boundaries, all while watching my kids struggle with how to walk this out, unable to help them because I have no clue what I'm doing either. There were, and occasionally still are days, when getting out of bed feels almost impossible because of the pain. Divorce is very much like a death, only worse because there is never any closure when you share a life and children with someone for three decades. Life just goes on, and you have to figure out how to adapt. At least now I have some of the peace I have desperately needed to move forward and start over stronger. I can finally be myself again. I can love the me I always was and will be in my new future. I can and will love and be loved. I will allow my pain to be for a purpose, to encourage anyone else going through this messy part of life that it gets better. We can heal. We can be better than ever. It just takes time. I believe there is life on the other side of this pain, and though there are days when it still hurts like hell, I have hope now. I know my worth. I know my value and what I bring to this world. I had to change my name and start a new life that looks nothing like the old one to find this, but it's still me, the real me, for anyone who wants to be a positive part of my new life. It took me way too long, 44 years, to find my value. I simply do not have time to convince anyone else of it. But I did it. I found my courage. I reached out for help and love. I took the road less traveled, and I believe that will make all the difference. If I can do this, anyone can. As I let the reality of the divorce settle in, I continued to work on me. I continued therapy for several more months, enjoyed time with my friends immensely, met new people, even ended up waiting tables at my favorite hangout in town where one of my business clubs met, Sinclair's Restaurant. I worked hard. Other than the times when my son was staying over at my new place or when my daughter needed me during her pregnancy and eventually helping with her newborn, I had nothing but time on my hands, and I filled it. I spent much of my time working. Self-employment offers the opportunity for endless amounts of business development and marketing. I thought my degree in professional writing and communication from the year of my divorce was going to lead me into a career in copywriting and design for small business branding. With no one willing to hire a 40-something with a new college degree and no work history, I found myself with hundreds of ignored applications, very few interviews, and no choice but to attempt self-employment. I called my first post-divorce business Creative Marketing Solutions. I realized over the course of several months of working on that venture that starting a business was going to take time, at least the part where you make a profit. Thankfully, I had advocated well for myself during my divorce, and in spite of my ex attempting at first to give me nothing in support, I advocated well to secure a fair settlement for myself. Thanks to a timely change of counsel, recommended by a dear old friend, Lisa, who came back into my life just when I needed her, I got the fair settlement I fought for. I had been strong, and I was going to be okay, just like both my kids had said. Meanwhile, I was okay with the amount of work I was putting in on the development of the business, and I truly enjoyed the work, but I also wanted to start making money. 
Good money. I had been told for so long in so many ways, covertly and overtly, that I could not survive without my ex, which is why it felt important for my self-esteem to see a tangible reward for my efforts. Even as I worked on developing my marketing business, doing the creative work I loved, like business card and flyer design, email marketing campaigns, and menu creation for several local businesses and restaurants, I also decided, through an unexpected turn of events, to get my license to sell real estate. I saw this as a good way to make some great money while I continued to build the business doing what I love. Over the next year or so, I would do more and more with real estate and less and less with the writing and design. Early in the real estate venture, it was recommended that I focus on a niche. Having previous training and counseling and understanding that most real estate agents specialize in helping people in their same season of life, I had chosen to specialize in divorce real estate. I even flew to California with my son to attend training for the RCSD Real Estate Collaboration Specialist for Divorce designation. It was a great niche and a good excuse to take my son to a place he had always wanted to visit. Now I was doing real estate full time. I was carving out a specialization in divorce and things were slowly building. Of course, as part of working on myself, I was not only building my career, continuing therapy, and doing lots of self-care, but over the course of time, I began to think about what it might be like to start dating. I wasn't sure I was ready, but I wanted to have a plan, and in a way, I did. Though I had a plan, eventually, I began to wonder what dating would be like. I was still thoroughly enjoying and savoring my solo life. I began to think, I needed some practice if I was ever going to know how to date. After all, I had literally never done it. Having been with my ex since I was 14, dating was not something I knew anything about. Not to mention, of course, that dating in 2018 would be nothing like dating 20 plus years ago when I was last single. I figured I'd better get busy messing up with some people that I never intended to be the one anyway, because I was not even looking for that. I was looking to expand my social circles and see what this dating world was all about. I could write a whole book on how I plan for the dating season of my life, but each, how each of those dates went and how dating ultimately turned out for me. But I'll sum it up like this. Online dating is interesting. If you want the details, you will have to find my podcast, Starting Over Stronger, on your favorite app or on my website and explore the episodes I have recorded about my story and dating. Start with episode 90. The gist of the story is that I got to see what's out there, and it wasn't pretty. There is definitely P in the dating pool, and the P stands for pervert. Not like I was ever unsafe, though there was that one time. But if this small sampling holds true across the board, only one in five men are ready to be dating or have any ability or desire to build a healthy relationship. The other four are the liars, players, deceivers, and cheaters that were somebody else's problem not too long ago. They're single for a reason. I found the apps to be better in small doses. They can consume you if you let it. If you choose to do online dating, you will find you can do so in a good way and a really not healthy way. Most people do it in the really not healthy way, which is thinking that each date might be the one. Obsessing over it every day, every hour, spending every spare moment shopping on the app 
texting guys for days, planning multiple dates every week. Who has that kind of energy to spare? No one. That's who. The good way is for fun. Letting each date be what it is. Just meeting people on occasion and expanding your social circles. Not texting long before meeting. Talking on the phone before you meet in person. And always meeting somewhere safe if they pass the short texting and phone call tests. And most importantly, no matter how you approach dating, doing so, especially online, before the self-exploration I have described above, is like going to the grocery store without a list when you're hungry. You're going to end up with a lot of things in your basket that look good and taste good, but they are not good for you and will not make a complete meal. Have a snack if you must, but don't expect to feel great about it in the end or for it to bring the long-term happiness you are expecting, my friends. That is not how the human heart is wired. After four different what I call first and onlys, first dates that never had a chance of becoming a second, I was once again considering getting off the apps. I had already eliminated a handful of the more popular apps. There were a couple I never even tried because the reputation preceded them. I had heard enough stories and seen enough pictures I never wanted to see on friends' phones to know those were not places for me. This left me with Bumble. I didn't mind it so much because it was the only one that allowed me to be the gatekeeper of who could message me. Unlike any of the other apps, Bumble was created by a woman for women with the unique features of having the ability to always be the one to initiate conversations. I read that the woman who created it used to be an executive with one of the other big name dating apps, which she left because she wasn't feeling heard. That was why she had started her own app with her ideologies, which align with mine, which is that we should only get messages from people we determine in advance that we want to get messages from. Seems so simple, doesn't it? Yet even in spite of that empowering feature, after four for four strikeouts over the last six months, once again, I was reconsidering the world of online dating. Episode 90 of the Starting Over Stronger podcast shares more of this story. At this point, I had spent 12 years in therapy, much of that working on me, detaching from the toxic patterns in my marriage and family of origin. I had spent a year and a half emotionally separated while still living in the same home with my soon-to-be ex, knowing it was over as I prepared for the marriage to end. I had spent six months living on my own as the divorce process took place, and now I had spent the first six months of my post-divorce life goofing around on dating apps, going on a date every other month. I was also going out with friends, enjoying my kids, building my career, and enjoying a healthy dose of the solo time I so loved and needed. I was beginning to think that online dating was not for me. I am a traditionalist in so many ways. Perhaps it would make more sense to meet someone in the old-fashioned way of a friend introducing us or a chance encounter in some other part of my work or personal life. This is what I had begun to ponder even as I continued to peek at the Bumble app with one eye closed. I swiped left a lot. Call me picky, but this girl knew what she wanted and didn't want, and didn't want to waste anyone's time, especially my own. I had been challenged not to stick to what I believed to be my type, 
whatever that is. We all claim to have one and we hold tight to it, whether or not it makes any sense because it's because it makes us feel good at first anyway. The truth I have discovered is that our type is more strongly associated with our trauma than with compatibility. If you feel you need a man of a certain height, for example, what is it about that feature that meets what need in you? If you feel you need someone that makes a lot of money, what unmet need are you trying to fill that is actually an inside job? You get the idea. For me, at this stage of the game, I knew to challenge my type. If their facial features and bio were not immediately absolute no's, I would spend some time imagining if this or that or the other feature would be interesting to explore, even if it might be much different than I would have ever imagined for myself. For example, maybe someone who's never been married and has no kids could be a good fit for me. Nope, that didn't work. Maybe someone with young kids would be good since mine were grown and leaving the nest. Nada, I'm ready to focus on work and love, not child rearing. Do I want another regular church attender or someone who knows and loves God, but who doesn't subscribe to the weekly church attendance experience? I knew the answers to some of these questions, but I still wanted to explore both sides of these coins. What if it might be cool to date someone younger than me instead of older, which tended to be my type? Or not. I was continually challenging myself to get outside of my box. Such was the case one, when one day in mid-October, I was passing some idle time by exercising one finger with a little cha-cha slide to the left. Thank you, DJ Casper. When suddenly I froze. There he was the man I could see myself marrying. I don't know if I knew it the minute I laid eyes on him on his Bumble profile photo on my phone, but I knew pretty quickly. Swipe right, read profile, check messages, no response. Reread profile, Hispanic. Hmm. Yet another challenge to the status quo. That was one I had not previously thought of. What if I didn't date a white guy? Hmm. Check messages, still no response. Okay, let's close this for now and finish up work for the day. When I was winding down that night for bed, I remembered. I quickly grabbed my phone and my heart skipped a beat when I saw I had a message. It was from him. Hey, thanks for your message. Getting home from work, how are you? No, hey, beautiful. No immediate red flags, just how are you? Intriguing. We messaged back and forth a little while that night. He was saying all the right things. He seemed so down to earth, so not after one thing, so authentic. Although a fateful social media glitch destroyed these precious first conversations from Messenger app, I do remember feeling an immediate chemistry, even in our texts. I had learned that texting alone was a bad predictor of future dating success, so I closed out our text conversation that night by asking if I could call him on the phone that weekend. It was a Thursday. He was leaving town the next morning for a family wedding out of town. He would be back on Sunday, and we made plans to talk that afternoon. Sure, we will wait until then to talk. Nah, we're going to keep messaging until then. Even if I told myself messaging a lot would complicate matters. 
He was telling me about the wedding, the dancing at the reception, and his family. He sounded so genuine, so connected to his family. I found it to be genuine and sweet. This guy loved his family and had fun with them. I was getting introduced immediately to the phrase I would hear often that I believe many Hispanic families echo, family first. It was refreshing to this little orphan Annie, that's for sure. Even if it did make me wonder if he could ever understand my family dynamics. But that was a conversation for another day, much later in the future. On Sunday, my phone rang at 6 p.m., I was so nervous. I had spent three days building up an image in my mind. The next few minutes would reveal how accurate that image was. Me. Hello? Him. Hey, it's Jerry. Me. Hi, Jerry. We spoke for about an hour as he worked on editing some photographs he had taken at the wedding. I learned that he was a professional photographer on the side in addition to working full-time for UPS. I shared about what I do and my family. I struggled to hear his soft-spoken voice, and I found out on our first date that he almost didn't call me back because he took my struggle to hear him as disinterest. After a few more days of texts and phone calls, I invited him to come to Sinclair's one Thursday evening when I was working so he could listen to live music and we could have a drink after I got off work in a place I felt comfortable. I guess you could say it went well. We sat talking in a booth for four hours, and we were both shocked when we realized that much time had passed. We could neither one wait to see each other again. We went on a date every day for five days straight. We both fell fast and hard, even as we both desired to take things carefully. We had both seen the worst of what dating and marriage had to offer. This was different. We both knew it. Neither of us could explain it and it would take a while before either of us could fully trust it. One of my mentors in my divorce recovery group summarized it this way when I came to her wanting assurance I could trust what I was experiencing. When you've spent a lifetime in rain and storms, no one has to explain sunshine to you. Yes, that glorious moment when you breathe fresh spring air on a perfect 75-degree day after a long, cold, dark, and stormy winter— you tilt your face to the warm sunshine to let it saturate your soul and spirit. It warms your whole self in ways you didn't even know you needed. This was what meeting Jerry felt like. I would spend the next years falling more in love with him every day and he with me. We both had to peel more layers of the healing of our broken trust and the ways life had hurt us. To get to know one another on so many levels to learn whether we could trust and be trusted. Our relationship has not been one straight arrow in the right direction. We have had ups and downs, stops and starts, my moments of freaking out with unfounded fear, times we were uncertain whether we would be able to make it work for a variety of different reasons. We have both been so much in the deepest love either of us has ever felt, yet we still struggled in the blending of our two lives, two hearts, and two minds. Our time together has been a beautiful, fun, and sometimes agonizing peeling of the imprints from the trials of this life. The process of learning what healthy love looks like and holding ourselves to that higher standard. And through it all, what has always risen to the surface is that we both know 
beyond the shadow of a doubt, that ours is a love that can last forever if taken good care of, and that we are both committed to happily and healthy ever after. Okay, that is the end of chapter nine, and we are going to go ahead and stop today, even though we probably didn't spend quite as much time today on uh, reading, but we've got two more readings left. And so thank you again for being here with me. Um, I appreciate your interest. I just want to remind you again that if you don't already have a journal picked out, you are going to want to have one by the time we get to chapter 11. Um, we may even get a little bit into it in chapter 10, but chapter 11, which will be the reading after next, is when we are going to actually start doing the Pathway to Peace journaling process. So I want you to have your journal ready to go by then. So thank you for Joining me again here today, and I will see you here again next week for more Starting Over Stronger, Finding a Pathway Out of Codependency to Create a New Life of Peace.